right now. The day was September 19th, 2014, just a couple years ago. A guy by the name of Omar J. Gonzalez, who was an Iraq war veteran that had PTSD, on that day, um, Omar jumped over the White House fence. Now that in itself is a feat, okay? He jumps over the White House fence, enters the building's front door. How does that happen? He was quickly stopped by security officers and arrested. And when I read this story, I thought, not quickly enough if he got that far. Gonzalez was carrying a knife. He had two hatchets, a machete, and 800 rounds of ammunition in his vehicle nearby. In June 2015, he was sentenced to 17 months in prison. And in that sentencing phase of his trial, he said, I never meant to harm anyone. You know, in, in the light of, of recent events, certainly what happened last weekend, isn't it interesting? I never meant to harm anyone. Um, I, I just find that... In, well, what I want to deal with it is using that as a backdrop is our friend Omar Gonzalez had a presumption that was incorrect. He presumed on something. I, I, my guess is, my guess is that if you were invited to visit the president or the governor, you wouldn't just barge in. You wouldn't climb the fence and push the door open. You'd wait till you were invited. You'd dress appropriately. You would, um, you would comport yourself appropriately, wouldn't you? I think. Uh, isn't it interesting that we would want our meeting with that respectful office to, um, to communicate the respect the office deserves. Should we prepare to meet God in a lesser way? Now, let's go back to Exodus 20, where we were last week in, in Exodus 19. Um, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, you remember, they were at the foot of the mountain uh, receiving God's Ten Commandments. Now, um, you may have heard the Ten Commandments also called the Decalogue, that word just means the ten words. They're going to receive these ten words. And our passage today is part of the record of uh, God's covenant with the Israelites. Here's kind of what the covenant was saying to them in those days. He had told them previously through Moses. God had told them previously through Moses, if you obey me fully. Now here's kind of a direct quote from Exodus 19. You might look at verse 5 and 6. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you'll be my treasured possession. That sounds like a pretty good plan. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Although everything's mine, you're going to be unique to me. You're going to be my treasure, he says. Um, that's kind of the nature of the covenant that God makes with, with those people uh, whom he rescues. Look, look with me at chapter 20. I just want to... Look at verse 1 and 2, because there's, there's some really interesting, there's a preamble here that we're not going to get into in, in uh, our reading, at least the reading part of the study today. God spoke all these words, saying, here's what he said in them, verse 2, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What is he saying there? I'm your God. 
I'm the one that brought you out. I rescued you. I saved you. And then he says, therefore, do some of these things. Uh, it's, it's as if he's saying, I've got a right to ask some things of you because of what I've done for you. I took you out of the house of slavery. I have set you free. Now will you listen to me, he says. And at the beginning of verse 3, it begins to tell them these 10 words, these 10 things that he, that he deems important for them. Within the Ten Commandments are the fundamentals concerning how the people of God were to obey Him. Uh, you and I would believe that obedience is required of God's covenant people. In fact, a disobedient covenant is a contradiction in terms. A disobedient covenant is a contradiction in terms. Not just then, but now as well. So let's look at uh, this, uh, this passage. We're going to really only cover about oh, nine verses or so today, but let's, let's look at um, um, uh, what God says here about his covenant with his people. Uh, Steve Blair, you mind to start us today? Verse 18 and go down through 21. Now, if you remember what we talked about last week, you remember we, there was this phenomenon that, that um, in uh, kind of nature now, if, you, if you're watching the National Geographic Channel, they would describe as dirty lightning. Remember we talked about that last time where it's volcanic lightning? They're, they've got something akin to that going on. What else is happening while they're waiting at the foot of the mountain? Sorry? Lots of quaking and shaking going on. Yeah. Quaking and shaking. Earthquakes that don't stop. What else? Sorry? They, they set a boundary. Don't go any further than that. Remember one more thing? A trumpet that began and continued getting louder and louder and louder. Remember that? Something is going on. Something's getting ready to happen. Now, uh, if you remember all of those things, uh, that, that scenario is still taking place here. And um, uh, what you've got to catch here, uh, if you'll just kind of look at verse 18, while I kind of describe what's going on, the mountain is smoking and quaking, the trumpet is blowing, and the people see it, and their first reaction uh, at this impressive kind of sound and light show is they tremble. Now, this is not just... Um, not just um, as a result of the earthquake. In other words, they're not just, you know, jumping up and down because the ground is. They are, they are quaking. They are trembling. Haven't trembled in a long time. Have you? I remember a fairly recent doctor's appointment where they prepped me for what the doctor was going to do for me. And then the people who'd done that left and I'm left for five or ten minutes waiting for the doctor. And I may have quaked a bit then. <laughs> you know that. 
I wish this was over. You know, shoot me now. Right? Um, but they were trembling. And it's an interesting thing because in the light of all this sound and light show, um, uh, their fear, and you got to catch what they did. Okay, they they're, had gone as far as the Lord set a boundary for them to go. And they see all this happening. They hear it. It's probably deafening and it's really scary. And what they did was retreat. They uh, retreated and kept their distance. I think this is really interesting. If that's what God is like, catch that? If He is that powerful, then I'm getting away. They retreated. They ran. Now, when they begin to talk to Moses, in the, in the context of this, when, when Moses is getting ready to ascend the mountain himself, uh, they said to Moses something here in verse 19. What do they say? Do what? You talk to us. We don't want to hear from him. Isn't, isn't that interesting? Uh, maybe we don't want to hear the voice of God. You know? Maybe it's just a little too scary. If that they have heard him, uh, their tone here is a tone of desperation. It's a tone of dread. Uh, the word I want you to put in your blank there is pleading. They are pleading with Moses. We've heard him once. And we somehow survived. We don't want to take our chances again. You talk to him, and then you talk to us. Uh, isn't that interesting? You go ahead and talk to him, and you let us know what he's got to say. When I was at Delcrest, Darla grew up across the street from my junior high school. Yeah. I remember the only time that I can ever remember being called to the vice principal's office to get licks. And he made me wait overnight. It was Mr. Airplane. I can still, in fact, I saw him a couple years back, like at a restaurant, and I still didn't want to approach him. You know? I know. Was his name Roger? It just didn't work, did it? But I remember, I really wanted my mom to go talk to him for me. Because she was an educator, you know? Yeah. That didn't work. I had to go. No you go talk to him and tell us what he's got to say. <laughs> That's what they were saying. You talk to him. Um, I, I have a little boy. My very favorite three-year-old boy. Okay, His name is Silas. <laughs> and he helped his dad fix his truck this week. Silas uh, and I have a little game we play. Now, Silas doesn't talk a whole lot yet. And uh, so uh, mainly when I talk to Silas, it's, it's I say things to him that he mocks back to me, which is great fun. Silas and I are the only two people in the world, now that my dad is gone, the only two people in the world with a particular middle name, as far as I know. My dad's middle name, it was his given name for a lot of his, his uh, younger life. My dad's middle name was Coel. C-O-E-L-L, -L, okay? And I inherited it. Um, 
And Silas has that same middle name. And so my little game that I play with Silas is I will say, Silas Coel, and he will say, I'm his paw. He will say, Pa Coel. That's kind of our thing. Silas Coel, Pa Coel, okay? Now, what I remember, though, when I was growing up is that when Sally, my mother, used my entire name, it wasn't going to go well. <laughs> Stephen Coel, if she ever used my last name in that, I knew I was really in trouble. Stephen Coel Seton, come here. And then sometimes it would be followed by, because that's what you did when you were growing up in the 50s and 60s. Um, uh, she would sometimes say, okay, we're going to talk to your dad about this when he gets home. <laughs> what horrible kind of thing is that? <laughs> you know, it's bad enough to face mom's wrath, much less I have to wait for dad's. Uh, anybody, any of your kids? <laughs> what story? Okay, I, 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 it was very innocent. I left on the wrong bell to go to the bus or something, you know. You know, it, it, it literally, I didn't even blame him. I just said, I thought it was time. And uh, anyway, it didn't matter. Mr. Epperly was no. Isn't it interesting that we often fear Authority, perhaps, like errant children, the Israelites realized their own behavior prior to that. They realized they didn't measure up to the divine standards. They had left at the wrong bell. Uh, they've been given these standards. Maybe fear was an appropriate response for them. It certainly was the response that they were rehearsing to approach God. They were pleading with Moses, you talk to him. We don't want to talk to him. Then you talk to us. Verse 20. Moses speaks directly to the people now. And he says, don't be afraid. And he talk, begins to talk to them about why God has come. Now, um, I, I think verse 20 is interesting. Follow along with me. Look, look at it, if you will. Follow along with me. Um, is your Bible like mine? It begins with, don't be afraid, and then it says, but fear him. <laughs> is my Bible the only one that says something like that? Uh, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. For God has come in order to test you, and in order that you that the fear of Him, okay, um, may remain with you. Okay, so that's interesting. Don't be afraid. I just want you to be fearful. Right? Is that just my Bible that says that? Okay, We're, we probably better unpack that then, because rightly understood, the Bible's not going to contradict itself. I don't think. Don't be afraid, but fear, he says. Now, I've got a couple of places I want us to go. Let me, let me handle a couple of these out. Would somebody go to Hebrews 12? I want somebody to read verse 28 and 29, or Hebrews 12. Thank you, Cindy. Um, and then I've got a couple of passages that are coming up. Actually, uh, three different passages from the book of Psalms. John, can I get... 
let me give you three different psalms. They're gonna, this is going to be right up till the end of things today. Um, psalm 135, 15 through 17. Psalm 115, verse 4 through 8. And then this is not on your outline. Psalm 32, verse 1 through 3. Okay? John will be our psalmist today. All right? Now, listen to what the Bible says, the Hebrews writer says, about an appropriate way to approach God. Cindy, Hebrews 12. A proper attitude for a covenant relationship with God is respect. Uh, what are some of the other words, Cindy, there in verse 28, 29? Awe. Awe. Reverence. Reverence. And it, he even goes so far, the Hebrews writers say, because God is a consuming fire. Sounds like I ought to be respectful. God is, our God is a consuming fire. So the appropriate attitude with which to approach him uh, is, is this attitude of reverence. Now, so there is a, here's the word that goes in, you're blank, I know you're already nervous about that. <laughs> is he ever going to get back to it? There is a practical reason for Moses to talk to them here. Okay? The practical reason. Don't be f- afraid to approach him But there's a kind of fear that's really necessary. And there's a so that in verse 20. Anytime I'm reading the Bible and uh, it has a so that, what do I need to do? Okay, there's something before that's happening so that what comes after it may happen. So there's this reverence and fear. Okay, there's this reverence and godly fear. Not a huddling in the corner fear, but just a an awe, a respect of him that is supposed to be in place so that what? The end of verse 20. Say it again. So that I'll stay away from sin. Isn't that interesting? Now one of the things you and I have got to kind of think about when we think about why God wants us to stay away from sin. Uh, It's not because God is just a cosmic killjoy. Okay? God knows he, he has... It surveyed the land, and he knows what all's fun, and so he starts signing off on things that, no, 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 heck no, okay? <laughs> What's going on here is that God knows you really well, and he knows life better than anybody. And he knows what will unravel us. That's what he says no to. When it's talking about sin, it's talking about when my will supersedes his will. And typically when that happens, um, I am not going to go down the right path. You know that Monty Hall died earlier this week? Yeah, he did. He was in his 90s. If I were ever on that show, and by the way, you've got to be of a certain age to know who Monty Hall is. Let's make a deal. Kind of invented, let's make a deal. If I were ever on that show, I guarantee you I would have chosen the wrong door. <laughs> if a million bucks is in door one number one and two million bucks is in door number two, I'm going to choose, you know, a brick of cheese or whatever's in door number three. Yeah. 
You know. God knows that's how we are. And He says, if you'll just, if you'll just reverence me, if you'll just trust me, I'll keep you from unraveling your life, from making the wrong decisions. There's a lot of things that I'm going to leave up to you, but there are some things that, frankly, you're not in a position to make that choice. Especially when it comes to worshiping me, the Lord God, instead of all the gods of your neighbors. He's going to deal with that a little bit. In verse 21... Moses uh, does something pretty courageous here. Okay. He, Moses then, um, the people stand at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. If you remember we were talking about this last week, because of all this cloud, there's all of this uh, phenomenon going on, and yet it's dark, especially up on the mountain. Moses has to look beyond the darkness to approach God. Now, just turn with me a couple of pages to the right, to 3311. It's probably going to be four or five pages, six pages to the right. Chapter 33. This is said about Moses during, around this time in his life. Um, look at verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. Just as a man speaks to his friend. Moses knew God. He knew him better than anyone on the earth at the time of his life. He knew him face to face. He knew what God desired, what God kind of valued here. And so Moses knew about God that his intent for the nation of Israel was for their good, not for harm. Can I say that again? Moses knew that God's intent for his people was for their good, literally for their best, not for their harm. He had to look beyond the darkness to see him, though. Sometimes I've got to look beyond the storm in my life. To see God. They were having a lot of trouble seeing beyond the storm. But Moses knew beyond the storm, God was there. And he had this ability, because of a relationship with God, to trust what was kind of on the other side of all that blackness. A group of children were lined up in the cafeteria of a Christian school for lunch. At the head of the table was a large pile of apples. Someone had written a note and placed it next to the apples. It read, take only one, God is watching. <laughs> so they moved through the line, and at the other end of the table was a large pile of chocolate chip cookies. One little boy wrote his own note and stuck it next to the cookies. Take all you want, God is watching the apples. I think that was a five-year-old Ellie Schneider, I think. But yeah. Take all you want, God's watching it. No, you couldn't write that. Okay. Isn't it true that we've kind of got this opinion of God that he's just watching me 
double dog daring me to do something wrong so that karma can ensue. Yeah, by the way, God's not a karma guy, but okay. In fact, if karma was the rule of the day, I'd have been gone a long time ago. It, don't we kind of think that? But, but Moses knew God better than anybody in those days. And he was able to say, if you can just get beyond the darkness, if you can just look a little bit on the other side of the storm, when you get there, God will be there with you. And he will give you exactly what you need. It may not be what you want. It may not be exactly what you think you need. But you remember that adage that we write on the card to every graduate who's ever graduated from school, Jeremiah 29, 11. He's got a future for you. And it's a good one. Filled with hope. Now, so Moses had this ability here to look beyond the darkness. He went on up the mountain while they were cowering in fear. Now, let's, let's go on uh, in the story here because God wants the best for them. They just can't see it yet. They're, they're just uh, paralyzed in fear by the storm and by this, uh, all of this darkness. Uh, somebody pick it up. Cindy, can you pick it up at verse 22 and read down through 26? Kind of some weird stuff. I'll explain some of that in a minute as I understand it. But don't get caught up in all the sacrifice stuff that you don't miss some of the other stuff that we're, we're going to begin with. So here we go. Crucial to what their understanding with God is, is what they have not seen so far. What have they seen? A storm, right? They've, they've felt the earthquake. They've seen the lightning. They've seen the ash. The fire, okay? They've seen all that. What have they heard? They heard kind of the voice of God. They've heard the trumpet. What have they not seen? God himself. Heard his voice. Got his influence. Now this is kind of important. And, and John is going to help us kind of navigate some portions of Psalms. So if you want to, you know, the book of Psalms is kind of right in the middle of your Bible. I was realizing this morning that in my uh, quiet time reading, by the way, I've read through these two passages recently. Uh, I'm, I'm right, I just finished the book of Psalms. I'm now in the book of Proverbs. I'm not doing anything, you know, it's not chronological or anything like that. I'm just reading several chapters as I go through, okay? So I just finished the book of Psalms. And I realized, I started looking at my Bible, a little ribbon, you know, that goes in your Bible to tell you where you, where you are. I'm over halfway there, so um, uh, to the end of it. So what, you, what it kind of helps me to remember is that the book of Psalms um, is not the middle of the book necessarily, but 
as I open my Bible, it falls kind of open to the middle of it, Psalm. So if you'll go to the middle of your Bible, to, if you want to follow along with John, he's going to read what uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 135. And in a minute, we're also going to read 115. He's going to read what the psalmist says about um, the gods of the pagan neighbors they're getting ready to move in next to. Okay, They're getting ready to move into, when they get to the promised land, they'll move in near people who worship all kinds of little gods that they make with their hands. All right? Now, it's, it's just, it's really beautiful. The, um, uh, I think, the, um, um, the logic that the psalmist use here. Here's what they have not seen. What they have not seen is God himself. They've felt his influence. They've heard his voice. They know what he values, but they haven't seen God, nor will they. Now, listen what, um, what the psalmist says in Psalm 135, verse 15, 16, and 17. John? They got eyes, but they can't see. They got ears, but they can't hear. They got lips, they got a mouth, but they can't talk. It, it, this is kind of intriguing to me. Uh, what the psalmist is saying, what, what Moses is going to kind of deal with here, is a people who uh, have not seen God, but they've heard from him. They know what he values. Contrast that with every other people group around them. All those people at least think they can see their God. He sits on the mantle. Do they hear from him? Uh-uh. He's got a mouth, but he can't talk. Uh, isn't that interesting? It, it's just kind of intriguing to me. The, the logic that's used here by the psalmist. Remember that the peoples around you are going to tell you they've got it all together because they've got a little God on their mantle place. Or they've got a little, they've got a little shrine built to him somewhere in their house. But I want to remind you that their God, they made, and they made him in such a way that he might have a mouth, but he can't talk to you. You have heard from God. You have heard from God. It's the idea that their understanding is crucial. Their understanding is what they've not seen yet. Now, so verse 23, in verse 23, back to chapter 20, he says, you, it, it, it's really a repetition in some ways of verse 3 and 4, same chapter, where he gives the commandments about not making other gods uh, and not having other gods before you. Uh, it's kind of a repeat of the first two commandments here. Don't make a God that can be seen and touched. Now, John, I want you to go, if you will, here to uh, verse 115 and I want, uh, Psalm 115, I want you to read verse 4 down through 8. The question I want to ask here, and this may be the most important question we deal with today, how do we live out this commandment against making other gods before God or making idols out of anything? Um, John, Psalm 115, verse 4, read down through 8. Can 
sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Those who make them will become like them. Now, what you got to catch here is in terms of what I can see, they can see their small g gods. In fact, if you were to ask, if I were to compare with my neighbors, they'll say, tell me about your God. And, and my neighbor says, oh, you want to see him? <laughs> He's made of gold. And I'm supposed to be impressed. He's made of gold. I'm supposed to be really impressed with that. That's my God. He, 14 karat right there. Wow, very cool design here. Who made this? I made it. Huh, cool. So the neighbor says, okay, so let me see your God. Well, you can't really see my God. What do you mean you can't see him? Okay, my God is the one who is, and he just doesn't show himself to anybody. But I know him. I know what he values, because he's told me. What has your God recently told you? Well, he doesn't really talk. I talk to him a lot. Hmm. You see, kind of see the problem here? Now, it, it, this makes me ask the question. It just makes me ask the question. How can we guard against the influences of what you and I would call, I think, cultural idols? Okay, you know, it, probably not going to be quite as blatant as you know, make a god of silver or gold and put him on the mantel place and, and, you know, bow to him once a day or talk to him. Probably not. Probably nobody in your neighborhood's that way either. But we've all kind of, we have to deal every day with what I would call cultural idols. What am I talking about? It could be money. Status. I'm sorry? Possessions, yeah. And it could be, could it not be, um, persons who have a lot of one of those or a variety of those things, and they're kind of put up on a pedestal as being the paragon of whatever. Uh, we have shows now called American Idol, right? We got some. If I can use the analogy that the psalmist is using in 115 and in 135. Realize that the world is going to set up cultural idols. But I got to swim upstream from that. I got to go against the flow. And what I just want to say to you, um, and by the way, um, occasionally the, the TV will be on, I'm watching the news. And something will come on after the news, and it's a celebration of cultural idolatry. And the, it's like the very first thing out of their mouths, my ears just start to bleed. I can't believe people buy this stuff hook, line, and sinker. And what I want to say to you is the same thing that, that Moses was saying through the voice of God to God's people don't listen. They got a mouth, but they can't speak. Your God doesn't have a mouth, doesn't need one. But he's going to talk to you every day. You open his word, I guarantee you he'll speak to you. You listen to his representatives like Marty today, I guarantee you you'll hear the voice of God 
And there'll be other times where you'll just get impressions and, and you'll know that God is speaking to you. Don't listen to a cultural idol. Certainly not one made out of gold and silver. So, uh, there's a couple of commands. But I'll just talk through it a little, real quickly. He's talking about uh, setting up just a mound of earth to serve as an altar. The command here is meant to keep worship simple, not elaborate. Bring your, bring your sacrifices to me. And then he says, um, he says, don't use, don't, don't, if you're going to make it of stone, don't, don't rot, don't have the stones uh, kind of um, rot with, with hammers and chisels. Just make it simple. Just mound them up. If you're going to use that, do that. Don't put any steps up to it because the priests in those days wouldn't be a while before the priests were wearing underwear. That's what's going on there. Sorry. You can, t you can tell your, all your friends that the Sunday school teacher talked about underwear today, okay? Now, if I put a reference in there. By the time they built an altar that was elaborate that they had to walk up on uh, uh, in chapter 28, the priests were wearing uh, BBDs, okay? They were Okay, but just how it was. Get the deal, walk up at an altar, people looking up saying, okay, whoa. Uh, all right. That's kind of what, it's literally the idea here is they're not to emulate their pagan worship practices of the people around them, which was very essential. Uh, pagan practices are prohibited. Modesty is required here. There's no sensuality involved in the pure worship of God here. It's kind of what they're talking about. They have seen the elaborate altars of the Egyptians. They've seen how their people themselves wrought bricks and stone and made the pyramids, for instance. They're just saying, keep it simple. Let me, I, I see you looking around. The command is meant to keep worship simple, not elaborate. They above all are not to emulate pagan worship practices of their neighbors. And pray, pagan practices are prohibited while modesty is required. That's what we're dealing with here now. I want, to, I want to get to a couple of things before you give me two minutes. All right? I want you to think about this altar that he's, he's saying for them to build, a simple altar. He says, don't, don't take a hammer and chisel and make a big deal out of it. Because I think there's a parallel here. No human effort can gain you forgiveness. Come to him with uncut stones. You don't have to cut the stones. You don't have to you just stack them up. You see, because he knew how bad we are, how likely we are to depend on our own efforts to get to God and to get forgiveness. He says, you don't have to do that. Just offer your sacrifice humbly and ask for forgiveness. Second, uh, this idea of modesty here. Um. Only God can cover your sin. You can't cover it. And in fact, if you try to cover it up, it can't be dealt with. I want, I want John to read the first three verses of Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, David is dealing with, there are two Psalms, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, where David is dealing with the fallout uh, surrounding his great sin with Bathsheba. He has been ill for months because he hasn't dealt with his sin. He finally deals with it. He didn't deal with it until he was confronted by a good preacher by the name of Nathan. And 
In the aftermath of that, this is the prayer that David writes in his journal. What he's thinking about how badly he needs forgiveness and what it's going to require. John, read the first three verses of Psalm 32. When I kept silent, I was a mess. I was a wreck. But when I dealt with my sin, when I uncovered it, God covered it up with his forgiveness. Do you catch that? So, no human effort can gain you forgiveness. Only God can cover your sin. Now, here's my, here's my two pieces of advice as we, as we leave today. Come to him in humility, recognizing that God is a consuming fire. He is God. He alone is. Come to him in humility. Don't come to him acting like you've got anything really to offer. But here's the second part of this enjoinder. You ready? Please. Come to him in humility, but please come to him. Approach him. He wants you to approach him. He wants you to look beyond the darkness in your life as Moses did. And get to know him as friend to friend. Come to him in humility. Oh, but please, come to him. Will you? We're going to look at some teaching from the life of David in 2 Samuel 17 next time, okay? We're still working on how the covenant lives out in the life of God's covenant people. I will see you next week. Thank you.